0: What's up ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Sovereign Mindset. My name is Mike Ruiz, and today I'm talking to Trav Stewart. We get into a conversation about tournament males. We talk about what they are, how they came about, a little of the history. And we also talk about frame, what it means for a man to build out his frame and assert himself in this world. I find these models very useful. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and let's get right into it. I guess the best way to start it off with uh travis if you could tell us about yourself and a little bit about what you got going on with tournament mail and then i think we'll, we'll just venture off into into that realm i think to understand frame uh you have to understand some the concepts around the idea of a tournament mail so um i don't know if that sounds good to you but uh, i'll let you take it from here
1: yeah sounds good so i've been coaching coaching people in general for the last 15 years with my fitness studio and since COVID I ventured specifically into into coaching men and one of the things I found was that uh, when I worked with men is that there was a particular mindset and a particular attitude of of the men who got the most results and there was a particular mindset and attitude of those who didn't and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that was and why that was because you could present you know the best program to a guy the best way of eating the best the best plan to get in shape and get healthy and he wouldn't follow it and so solving that question led me down to a lot of different uh, rabbit holes. But ultimately, what I found out was the concept of you now know frame, which I've I've explained to you. And some guys might not be familiar with it here, but it's it's ultimately the idea that you know what you believe, the habits that you have, the interests that you have, the standards that you have, they're in constant conflict with everyone around you. And if you don't have strong habits, you don't have strong habits, you don't have strong interests, you're going to lose those conflicts every time that you run into that with another person. So, A lot of these guys that I would train, I didn't get any results. The reason was was because they were constantly being overruled by, let's say, their wife or overruled by friends wanting to be unhealthy and go to the bar. And once I learned that, that's what I realized I needed to train. So these guys didn't need necessarily a plan to how to get in shape. They needed to get a plan on how to protect actually them prioritizing themselves against everyone else in their life. So that, you know, that's a very simplified version of frame. But then that took me further to understand that that's actually the very heart of masculinity. Masculinity itself is the protection of your frame and the assertion of your frame on the world. So ultimately, to circle it back to the the original problem that I found with all those guys that I trained was some of the guys were masculine and they did whatever it took to make the reality they wanted happen. And some weren't. And those guys that weren't. We're simply letting another person's reality be projected on them. And they were just carrying it out and sort of bitching along the way. So hopefully that's a good intro.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good intro. Um, and so do you want to get into the different aspects of masculinity, especially when it comes to human beings, right? Uh, and how we differ from other animals in the sense of tournament males versus pair bonding males. I think that's a good, that's a good, um, Foundation to to then go into frame and what frame is all about.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So, here's a good question to ask yourselves: what is what is context for masculinity? What is it based on? What is masculine? By what reference do you call something masculine or feminine? How do you know this thing? Right? And most people don't know, quite know the answer to that. We have some general ideas, and that's why we say words like alpha potentially or the opposite, beta, right? That's how we understand these things. But we understand them loosely. We're not really sure what masculine behavior is and what um, beta or feminine behavior is. But actually, in biology, um, or behavioral biology, this is well understood. And it's the difference between what's known as a tournament species and a pair-bonding species. So masculine behaviors in the animal kingdom, which we're obviously an animal, but when we act them out, they're whenever you see them in the animal kingdom you immediately know them to be masculine so like if you were to watch a lion protect its territory you immediately know that's masculine right elephant seals battling on a beach and then impregnating all the all the the female seals afterwards you, you understand that that's masculine right so when you when you start looking into the ba- behavior biology of animals in particular tournament species versus paraboning species it gives you the perfect template for what masculine behavior is and what and what um, beta or feminine not not necessarily feminine but beta behavior would be so tournament species have very specific characteristics and this will you'll you'll be able to see how it lands per well not perfectly but very closely on what we use as a conceptualization of alpha so the first quality of tournament of tournament species like a species can be either or or a hybrid and um it's this matrix of concepts that determines if you are or not and that matrix actually if it's transposed on human men will tell you if they're alpha or beta So the first one is the size difference that the males have towards their females, right? So in tournament species, like say an elephant seal, if you've ever seen those guys, they have those huge tusks and they battle it out on the beach and they like, you know, get blood all over themselves. They're far larger, like twice the size of the females, right? And that's what makes them a tournament species. Now, if you think about what an alpha guy is, like when you see an alpha guy, he's usually much larger than his woman, right? And she's attracted to him for that. But further to that point, what becomes with that physicality is an element of danger. So not only aren't our uh, tournament males larger than their female counterparts, they're usually dangerous looking, right? You see that with lions, you see that with elephant seals, So and you see that with human males, right? So that would probably be the first one. Like, so if you want to think about what alpha is, alpha is the very first quality based off the design of tournament males or tournament species is that they're physically larger. And that they look dangerous. So that would be the first one. So, the next step of it is in, in, in this behavioral biology analysis, is this thing called reproductive variability. It means that. I think you're a. Uh, Mike, I think you're, uh, your mic's on, just an FYI.
0: Am I, am I feedback? Okay, hold on one second.
1: I, I can hear, I can hear uh, birds and stuff. So, the next one is reproductive variability. And in tournament species, only a very small amounts of the, the males reproduce. And if you think about that, that has to do with like fighting and dominance that only a certain amount of men rise to the t- or a certain amount of males rise to the top and get the woman right and they are allowed to have multiple partners so when elephant seals win the fight on the beach on the icy beaches in the arctic they sleep with or they they mate with uh you know 30 30 other seals or whatever their harem is same thing applies with lions so they find that in tournament species, you know, anywhere from only 20% to 5% of the males reproduce, all the rest lose. So you're constantly going through a, this genetic death of, of, of 75 plus percent of, of male genes are dying and not being allowed to reproduce. So that brings up the next quality of, you know, what human tournament males are, is that they have usually a lot of, they've won some sort of a, a fight. They've won some sort of a tournament, right? whether it's, you know, men, other men are intimidated by them. Um, they're they're richer. They have more power. They have more territory. They have more possessions. They have more something, and because of that, they are allowed access to a lot of a lot of females, right? And because they have that access, they have an abundance mentality, and they don't care to lose women, and they don't have that attachment, where you know, the opposite of that, a parabonder, I haven't got into that. That would be the more the beta side, you know, a parabonder, a guy who rarely gets access to a woman. He's one of you know in tournaments, he would be the type that would be a loser in, in the, in that um, reproductive variability battle that's going on, he would be highly attached to that one woman that he finally gets access to. Right. And he would put up with, excuse me, a human example. He would put up so with so much bad behavior. He put up with so much disrespect. He put up with so much bad treatment because he has this scarcity mentality of this one woman he's attached to and has access to. So the next quality of alpha would be that you have abundance of females because you've won some sort of a tournament, it affects your attitude. And because of that, you will not, for when, when it comes to human tournament males, human alphas, they will not accept disrespect. They will not accept to be treated poorly. If you treat them that they, they simply disappear and they fuck off and they won't, they won't deal with you again. It's a very different attitude than a pair bonder who will put up with all the shit in the world. So that's, that would be the, the next piece. Um, is, you want to chime in Mike?
0: Yeah. So in regards to tournament males and, and pair bonding, I think to go over the, some of the history and how that distinct, distinction came about in human civilization is interesting because we weren't always tournament male or there wasn't always a tournament male uh, quality in men. There was something that happened uh, that led, led human beings to then uh, or, or led women to look for uh, tournament male qualities in men. Do you want to go over that? You think that's relevant?
1: Yeah, that's really useful. So you're right. So prior to when we enter, you know, it was about 12,000 BC, the agricultural paradigm, you know, when we're hunter-gatherers, we're largely pair-bonders, meaning if you go through that list of things that I just described, men and women are roughly the same size, right? So there's not that huge, huge difference going on. Um, Reproductive variability isn't skewed heavily to only like 5% of guys. You know, a large amount of the men are all reproducing. They're living in tribes. There's a lot of harmony. But then what happens is we just – we because of our successes as a, as a tribes and group hunters, we end up killing all the animals and we run out of food supply. We descend into an agricultural paradigm, which is harsher. And from that point, um, life becomes very difficult. And then eventually some really smart guys domesticate the horse. And once they domesticate the horse, very few select men become ultra super males, essentially ultra dominant, and ultra competitive. And they're able to far outproduce in terms of, uh, um, how much food they're producing, and they're able to
0: <laughs>
1: kill and murder and defeat other men with impunity. So that's what happens in the domestication of the horse. So it's, it's like if you think about the, the species example, when we human beings use technology like they use claws or fangs or you know something that gives them aggressive com- competitive ability, We create technology and then we augment ourselves with that. So that really first began with the horse. If you can think that's like a devastating technology, horse with projectile weapons is ultra devastating. And a couple guys on horseback could rule like a whole swath of land. You could, you know, uh, 10 guys on horseback could dominate 50. So anyways, so then what happened is those became those super males. They became so dominant in that time. This is around 8,000 BC. We domesticate the horse. And then we see a really weird phenomenon occur because these guys are so productive, they um, are so dominant, they're able to protect their territory so much better than the other other males. They get rewarded, and this is through through natural incentives, they get rewarded with multiple wives. And then you see the rise of harems, you see the rise of polygamy. And you see this, we can see this directly when we gave, or when the Spanish gave the horse to native Indians. As as, As soon as they get access to the horse, they absolutely dominate their enemies. They start producing way more food. They can kill way more buffalo. And it's only a select number of the, the men in the tribe who were able to figure this out. And then those men end up getting multiple wives. And that's where you see it. Because we can see the Indian example, we can understand what happened to, you know, the European and Asian uh, Middle Eastern areas when they domesticated the horse 8,000 B.C. Because you see it in, the, in, the, in the, I believe, the genealogy record. I have a chart I've shared before where it shows that, on average, for every one guy, he had 17 wives, 8,000 B.C., So that means 16 other guys were losing and their genes were dying and that is the hallmark of a tournament species. And if you could meet one of those guys and you can get a time machine and go back and see one of these tournament males circa 8,000 BC, they'd probably scare the living shit out of you. How alpha they would be. How fucking dangerous they would be. It would just be an unbelievable human to meet. So that's the original tournament males and then because they are so successful in reproduction, we are all descendant from those men. So we are... They, that went on like that for you know they're, they were talking about it in the in the Bible so 2000 to 3000 BC they're still in harems and we're still being ruled by men with um, that dominate in that way so uh, that we were we were in that period for a very long period of time where only a few select few men were reproducing so we are de- descended from tournament
0: males and we have tournament male instincts and guys think, get go ahead Trav to, to interrupt I think a good example of this would be like Genghis Khan and how he conquered oh. ruled and uh, Basically, I don't know how many descendants, um, are their origin is Genghis Genghis Khan, but maybe you have more information on that, but that seems like a good example.
1: No, that's a perfect one. You're right. And yeah, what did they say? Uh, like every, how many Asian people right now have his genes? It's like an an incredible percent amount of people, but yeah, that's an, he's an example of an extreme tournament male. I mean, I don't think he's probably one of the greatest in history, but for the most part, it's, uh they didn't get to that to that level but that's what happens when a tournament male. that's what it looks like <laughs> and their effect on the gene pool their effect on history that's what happens when they when they do well or they succeed right and we're descended from we're descended from our versions of tournament males wherever we come from from those Genghis Khan like figures in our past that survived and thrived in that way and dominated so go, go ahead
0: no I was going to take this somewhere else but if you got something something to say uh, I want to hear it no feel free Well, I want to, I think this is a, so we got a good idea of what tournament males are and what pair bonding males are, but I think from a woman's vantage point, from her perspective, she still wants qualities of a pair bonding male, but she's also attracted because of the survivability to a tournament male. But can you talk about some of that tension there that exists between a woman's vantage point and wanting a pair bonding male and also looking for a tournament male qualities?
1: Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. So we don't live in those Genghis Khan like, you know, 8000 BC, like life is warfare style times where you're you're worried about fucking being trampled by horses, guys, crazy guys on horseback or something like that. So we don't live in those survival times where you can understand a woman would need to find the protection of that man and she would need to bend over backwards for his needs. You can understand that. That would make perfect sense that that would be the, the, the primary female survival mechanism right so we don't live in that time now but the problem is is because we incubated so long during that time and and because it was such a selective process that 16 men died for every one tournament male that we had it's like a form of um selective breeding right and then because likely so many women who didn't select tournament males also died that we are descended from women who women who select tournament males and men who were tournament males right so we are descended from said another way and people understand we're we're descended from alpha males and we're descended from women who had hypergamy, the attraction to alpha males or the attraction to tournament males. So that's step one. So that's where that original, there's like a genetic, there's a genetic um, thing that's going on that causes what we now have is this modern tension where we don't live in that environment where we need, we need um, these crazy guys in order to survive for women, but they have the attraction to those type of guys. It's there. Right. And we can call that the attraction to their status. We, so women rank men, based on their status and they want to pick the winner. And that, that is the nature of, of, of a tournament male. Like that's what, Oh, you're the, you're the winner of the status tournament. You were okay. I'm attracted to you. So that's what's going on in women's heads. But then that's counterbalanced by that. We don't live in that crazy ass time anymore. And female children take a long time to raise. And that requires a lot of parental investment on behalf of the woman and usually the men. And that is like the feature of a pair bonding species. So whenever, whenever children require a lot of time to be raised then usually that species is a parabolic species. So human babies are the most you know, uh, resource resource uh, heavy um, infant to bring into any, any, any species in the world. So it, it implies to us that we should be quite parabonder with that instinct. And we have that, right? So that counteracts. So on the one hand, because of this weird history we have, we have women who will go to men who are highly tournament and protect them and I'll, I'll just because there was one piece I missed that you need to really understand is that tournament males typically have a low parental investment instinct. So the the genghis cons of the world, they didn't stick around and you know um, play catch with their kids when they're born. and you know, play dolls with their daughters, right? that, that type of guy. They would they, they would impregnate the woman, she'd come under protection, and then he'd fuck off and he'd go disappear. and he'd be doing he'd be doing it, continue doing that thing. right. So low parental investment is typically the sign of a tournament male. It's their biggest flaw if you were to think about the modern time think about some some typical uh think of some badass guy around town you know or you know like guy doesn't give a fuck and drives a harley and he doesn't care and he he's made a few few single mothers in his wake you know like that guy doesn't care he doesn't care about parental investment he's not interested right so that that is the typical ugly side of tournament males so women require this parental investment from men and which is typically a pair bonding thing so this is where that tension comes in so usually in a females in their 20s they're attracted to the the status tournament thing because it's a very strong instinct in women to be attracted to that that's why like you know things that indicate tournament you know guys that do like rock stars or something like that you know you'll see 20 year old girls like rip their panties off and throw them on stage like completely under the spell of these guys right that's just all this genetic attraction to tournament males it's very very strong but when they get into their 30s And, you know, the biological clock is ticking and they want to have kids. And they're thinking, well, is this fucking guy going to be the guy? Or or they're a single mother from a guy like that. And they're like, fuck, I really screwed up. I really messed up. So then they start thinking more towards pair bonders. They go, okay, this stupid hypergamous attraction I have to these guys that always cheat on me and treat me like shit. I've got to temper that down and I've got to go find a guy who's going to do a lot of long-term parental investment with me with a baby and take care of it and he's going to be a really good dad right and you see this a lot the problem is so the tension so that because creates a more stable family and then there's a man there to raise, to raise the children but there's always a tension that the females are not attracted to pair bonders they're not attracted to the dad who bends over backwards and sacrifices for their kids she's still fundamentally attracted to the tournament male and that's why a lot of guys make mistakes they think well oh, i'm you know i'm mr dad and i'm I'm doing the dishes and I help around, you know, with the the chores at home, and I fucking provide everything, and I go to every baseball game, and you know, why doesn't she give me sex? It's like because you're not a tournament male, because you're being a pair bonder, and human women are not attracted for the most part to pair bonders; they're attracted to tournament quality. So that's why I call my program tournament male, and I teach men to become tournament male because you know, it's not about becoming Genghis Khan; it's about creating, it's fixing that tension that occurs in relationships where men are way too pair bonder these days. And they're constantly singling that, and it leads to the destruction of their relationship. Like 75% of divorces are initiated by women. So once you start embracing your tournament side, which comes naturally to men when they finally admit it to themselves and they're not shamed about it, then it fixes everything. It makes the relationship
0: stable. The women become far more attracted to them, and they enjoy their life way more. Hey, yeah, so I think this is a perfect segue into that because, um, like you said, we're descended from tournament males, and the tournament male qualities are within us. To cultivate and to um, to um, express in our being. So, can you talk about that? How one goes into developing out their tournament male qualities, so they are more attractive to their wife or to women, and they are um, you know presenting themselves as a kind of alpha male.
1: Yeah. Give me just one second. I'll be right back. One second. sorry about that. Yeah. So, so how to build this out, how to make it practical. Now, what's cool is because guys have this naturally, um, it's usually just <clears throat> it's doing the things that they know they should have been doing long ago. But what, what we're dealing with now is a cultural environment that makes it difficult for men to embrace their nature because they are guilted and shamed, particularly about male instincts that have been deemed sort of problematic in the world. Right. And, so the, the very first step, right, and, it, and I'll I'll back up just one second to introduce a concept where this is the most important distinction between tournament males and pair bonding males, is that we haven't I haven't fully described what frame is, right? Um, we we'll get into that, but it's a tournament male because of his dominance, his access to women, his abundance, his uh, superior ability to do life. He is not concerned as much with losing things with losing a woman with you know losing a job it's sort of like whatever i can replace that i'm fucking talented i'm competitive i'm a winner right so uh, the difference that that occurs with tournament males is they're willing to bear the consequences of their frame if they believe something or they have an interest in something they won't really let anything stop them you know um like a really strong headed alpha male guy that you would think and you would you'd kind of envision in your let's say in your personal network where you live and he's sort of unabashed about like an interest he likes. Like he, uh, trying to think of some examples, you know, traditional ones would be like guy going to the pub or something, or I'm going to play darts with my friends or I'm, I'm, uh, uh, what else would he do? Like he would just have some, I mean, you could say like
0: pursuing personal endeavors, uh, Mm. entrepreneurship, business meetings, stuff like that. Yeah. And he, Uh, hunting, hunting, hunting trips perhaps. Right. And he
1: can't be, guilted out of that like oh you're always going out or whatever women say to guilt that behavior and stop it but a tournament male doesn't care he's like fuck it i don't want to live a life where i'm uh, imprisoned by someone else i want to do the shit i want to do so the very first that's the very first quality of tournament males that bear the consequences of their frame they will assert their interests their habits and their standards regardless of outcomes whereas pair bonders are fucking terrified if they if they push like i'm gonna go on a boy's trip to their wife and their wife's like, no, you're not. You're going to be in the doghouse when you get home. And he's like, okay, I won't. Like that is the, the hallmark of a pair bonder. He's too afraid to lose her. So he, he will abdicate to her interests or he'll abdicate to her habits or her standards whenever there's a frame conflict. And that's the like, if you can get go past the behavior, biology, everything I explained to history, the fundamental difference when you see it in action is a tournament male will <laughs> essentially do what he wants without shame. And a pair bonder will abdicate usually to stronger frames the Second that they put up any resistance against him. So, if you were the first step to become a tournament male is, and usually it requires anger. A guy's got to recognize that he's actually been put into a box by people. He's been prevented from having interests. He's been prevented from having standards he likes. He's been prevented from having habits he likes. Right? Various things have been shot down so many times throughout his history, whether it's an overbearing parent or it's an overbearing wife or it's whatever, or it's or it's uh, guilt from culture that. So they're in this place, of this prison, and the first step is you gotta get got to get angry. you got to be like, you know what, fuck this. Like, I really don't like this life, right? Because ma- male, male masculinity, that willingness to bear the consequences of your friend who to assert yourself, it all flows from the base emotion of anger, right? The competitiveness, the assertiveness, the aggressiveness, the, you know, the Genghis con vibe, like what we were all just, it all spawns from the realm of anger. If there's one emotion that is dis- distinctly men, you could say it's anger, Right, that's not distinctly female. Females can adopt it, but you will immediately call them masculine if they do that. So anger is your is is your base, it's your base fuel, and every man right now in in society has been guilted that anger is this dangerous, harmful force, and everything about it is bad. So your first step to become a uh, tournament male is to understand that anger is not bad. Anger is the foundation of male uh, asser- male assertion, male aggression, male. Any man enforcing his will on the world is doing it from a, from a place of anger. And then beyond that, you know, um, this it gets into a much, much larger topic. But uh, when, when men ascend beyond sort of the base level tournament male and they become like an integrated tournament male, they become what I, what I call a moral authority. And a moral authority is now that you have these extreme, or extremely strong standards, interests, and habits that you assert on the world, that people live in your world and they follow you. Right. And you essentially become a moral authority with those, uh, with those standards, interests, and habits that you have. And the only way that you can assert your morality is through judgment. Right. You judge that your lifestyle is better than another's, or this is better for my kids than what you guys are saying. Like, I will not put my kids through this. So, like, the, 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 the quality of moral judgment, right, is a male quality that's founded. And it can only be enforced by anger
0: if you find there's no judgment without anger. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think before we get to that, I think it's a good idea to explain frame and exactly what that is. And then then we can get into how you can present your frame as a moral authority onto the world.
1: Right. So frame is just a description of a man's projected reality. So if you think about what you are, you know, values and your mission, you've heard all these things before. Um, All a man is, is his interests. Think about it. Like, what do you like, right? What are your habits? What do you do regularly? Is your base habits, you just brush your teeth? Or do you eat really well? Or do you not drink? Or do you go for walks every day? Like, what are your habits? What are the things you you repeat all the time that are geared towards some moral ends, right? You want clean teeth for why. You want to be fit for why, Right. So you have your interests, and you have your habits, and then the most nuanced, complex one is your standards. And um, the, sta- the standards part of the male existence is, is that it's where you've usually corralled your base instincts, right? So you'll only use anger for certain reasons. That'll be a standard of yours. You will not steal. You will not um, be jealous. You will not be... It's like that would be your standards, right? And standards is always the realm, historically, of morality and religion. Right? There is the study of standards is really religion. And we've been going through this process for thousands of years. Like how should we act? You know, a, a great example of very Lindy historical standards are the 10 commandments. You know, don't steal, don't try to steal your neighbor's wife. Don't try to steal your neighbor's stuff, honor your parents, etc. Don't murder people. Right. Like, so, um, those are standards. And, um, so that's the male frame. And I, I like to think of the male frame. And then the last piece I, I, I didn't describe was uh, assertiveness. So it's okay. If these are your interests, these are your standards and these are your habits. How much do you assert them or do you not assert them at all? Cause if you don't assert them at all, do they even exist? Are they even real? Do you even believe in them? Right? So ass- ass- assertiveness is that energy, that fuel that pushes men forward and pushes the mission forward. And it's usually assertiveness comes from that base anger, base energy of anger. So if you don't have any energy or if you don't have any anger, and you're not allowed to have any anger, you probably don't have any of your interests. You probably don't enforce any habits, and you certainly don't enforce any standards, right? But I like to, I like to visualize the frame, like actually a physical frame around you. Like a, take a, like an empty picture frame that's made of wood, and like you hold it like a hula hoop around your body, right? Like a square frame. And, uh, you know, maybe there's straps that hold it over your shoulders, where it's like you're walking around with this big-ass frame. And the thing is, is that everyone is carrying a frame. Everyone is carrying a frame. And if you could visually see it with everyone, Every time that you interact with someone, you actually have a frame conflict. Right? Conflict usually denotes like, oh, there's some sort of problem here, but it's not. It's it's this is every single time you interact with someone, there's a frame conflict. It could just be with a friend who's like, you know, I feel like going to, you know, Mexican for lunch. I want to go get tacos, and you're like, nah, I really feel like McDonald's. It's frame conflict. It's conflict of interests, right? When you're trying to, you know, enforce new eating habits in the family, and um, you want to have steak three times a week, week or something, or you, you want to eat something healthier. And your wife's like, I'm too tired tonight. Can we just order out? That's a frame conflict. She's saying, I'm not, I'm not upholding your standards today. So you're going to have to drop your standards for me. We're going to order fast food. Right? So there there's constantly, if you could visually see it, it's like you're running and bumping into everybody and your frames actually clash like a war. And then one wins one, one, one wins. And if, so the way that when I visualize the frame, it, it has four sides, right? If you're carrying this thing around, you on the front is standards because you lead with your standards. There's a reason for that. I'll explain in a sec. But and then on the left is your interests, the right is your habits. And then on the back of the picture frame, etched into the wood, all, all these would be etched in the wood, would be uh, assertive, assertiveness, right? And when you, when you like have that battle with the wife about you're trying to eat healthy at home and she wants to order fast food, it's like she took her frame and she just cracked, cracked your habits a bit. Now there's a crack in that frame and it's weak now. Now if that goes on too long eventually she will she will shatter the whole side of your frame and then she can put her frame over top of you and now you live in her reality and that's the story of most men they're living in the in the frame framed reality of another whether it's a boss at work or an overbearing parent or a wife or in a way like their kids the instincts of their children they're not able to corral it and figure it out
0: so i think that's a good intro to frame did i miss anything no, no, that sounds like a good introduction. Um, I like, I like the, um, I like thinking of it as a physical frame around you as well, because it it really helps to um, visualize just how when you're walking around and or when you're just going around in your life, and you know, mm-hmm. you're constantly you're constantly in conflict because people are trying to assert themselves over your frame or in your frame. Like, uh, and I think the example which you use. So, for instance, right now I'm not drinking this month right um and it's a standard that i set for myself um but i you know i'm going to a wedding i got my buddy he's like oh man what are you doing you're not drinking it's my wedding come on and i but i made that commitment to myself so he's trying to break my frame Mm -hmm. so i i I think that's a a good example of like the conflict that would arise in, in such situations
1: exactly and those little micro micro conflicts um, failed enough and and lost enough, you're looking at the macro problem of that you have no frame and you're under the someone else's frame entirely, right? So all these little micro, these all these little micro conflicts matter. They matter. They're as important as the big ones. The other so, thing I wanted to say, I just wanted to add this piece, you know, and this is where the moral authority thing comes in. So if you're good with your frame, right, like if, let's say you stop drinking, you know, you're super fit and healthy, you got all these habits, uh, no one can break them you do with your interests, right? But your standards, because you're a moral guy and you follow, let's say, God, or you follow some moral structure, then you're not, these aren't selfish, what you're doing, right? You, you pursuing your interests isn't selfish, or like it's, it's harmful to others, or it's not ever considering others. If you lead with the standard of like a religious-inspired morality, at which leads your frame, then usually your interests and your habits fall under that as well, right? You have good habits and health because you're trying to make your family healthy. You have good interests that make you stronger, they make you smarter, they do whatever, or they keep you around men that make you better, whatever it is, right? So if you become like a, this this honorable, integrated form of this tournament male who unabashedly asserts his frame, but his frame is good, his frame gets really big, his walls get really thick, and, it, and his frame gets really large, and lots of people live in it, right? Because women have hypergamy, they want to live in a powerful frame of a tournament male. That's way back from those guys on horsebacks trampling everyone. But she would probably like, like we talked about the tension earlier, one who would also do parental investment, right? So that would be an integrated tournament male, that he's willing. He, he's this dominant, powerful, moral man who has people that live in his, in his projected reality, and, um, he's, and he's willing to do long-term parental investment. That's when you become a moral authority, and that's when you change a lot of people's lives. And I think that's the end goal, and it has been the end goal, for men and it has been what religion has been driving men to be for thousands of years. That's, that is the main male mission on planet earth.
0: Uh, Trav, can you talk a, a little bit now that you're bringing this up? It, it reminded me of something, but like, so for instance, if your your frame is so oriented, like you're developing your frame in a way that's oriented towards living in God's natural order, let's say. Right. right. And so you're serving your frame and then can you talk about also the hierarchy there where the woman then serves the man because mm. the man is then serving the frame and the frame is oriented towards God and there's like this hierarchy that involves.
1: Yes. Well, the, the key thing to understand is about the female frame. So if women have frames too, the difference is, is that they don't have, they have interests and in habits, but they don't have assertiveness. They have attention, right? Their energy is attention. It's not assertiveness. That's a male quality. Female quality is, is attention, um, things attracting to you. And instead of standards, this is where the big difference lies. Women have instincts, right? So men have standards on their frame and they're leading with standards, you know, and then women, they lead with their instincts. They lead and you won't notice this because you'll think that they're moral because they have a natural instinct to nurture children. So, you know, it's, it's very easy on a, on a, um, a knee jerk, you know, assessment to be like, Oh, women are moral, but no women are nurturing but they're instinctual and by instinctual there's, there's, there's other qualities that, that rule their frame. And one of them is hypergamy. So that is the, you know, like a, um, genetic, psychological, biological, you know, it's like, my point is it's, it's a compulsion. That's an attractive uh, attraction to tournament males. Like they, and that's what fucks with guys. They don't understand how they could be with a woman for three years and it's a loving race relationship. And then she cheats on them or she leaves them for a guy. Who's just like, what some crazy ass tournament male like, a, like a, a non-integrated one let's say and she almost like destroys her whole life And you're like how could you do that it's because she's ruled by instinct she's not ruled by morality she's not ruled by standards so the other the other instincts they have is blame shifting so women are, are avoiding responsibility as an instinct He'll if you ever try to take a woman to take responsibility for anything and and then uh the consequences of that through guilt she will fight you tooth and nail you can try it all you want you'll never be able to prove to me you can make it happen um So they have nurturing, hypergamy, blame shifting, um, self-preservation, right? So this is uh, the war brides phenomenon, you know, when uh, like uh, Indian tribe would go and kill their neighbors and steal all the women, kill all their men, kill all these wives, husbands. But if you went to go visit the new tribe where all the women were stolen to and taken back, they'd all be married to new guys there right? It's because women have self-preservation in- instincts. It's the war bride phenomenon. Like, when they're taken as war brides, they marry into the new guys. They just move right on because they have to because this is a quality of mothers, particularly mothers with children, that they need to reestablish stability for their kids' sake so they're willing to, you know, yeah, you killed my husband, but all right, well, all right, I'll be with you now. Right? It's like a bizarre uh, instinct. Um, there's and the, and the last instinct is competitive anxiety and that is, and it flows from uh, hypergamy. They are they are worried about other women stealing their men because you know they're they're attracted to a man for status. They're aware that other women are if they're with that type of guy and they are very their their self-preservation comes into question if they're not able to hold on to that guy. So they become highly anxious towards other women who are vying for that spot or potentially are or or could do or, or more attractive to them or, or more attractive than them. So competitive anxiety rules them also, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the guys listening could know that in there, in there they've experienced that. So women are leading with those instincts. Um,
0: just going
1: back into your original question, um, can you just restate it again for me? I went too much. Well, on uh,
0: I, yeah, no worries. Um, no, I think that was important too, though. But like talking about the hierarchy.
1: Right, uh, so, yeah. right, so right. Th- th- so that's exactly it. Because you understand that they have instincts is that they cannot be moral leaders. And we live in a culture that makes them moral leaders. And all you see is hypergamy run amok, competitive anxiety run amok, self-preservation run amok, blame shifting run amok, and hyper-nurturing. So we live in the feminine frame, culturally, and that's all we see. That's all... COVID was the perfect example of every single one of those run amok, right? So we... When, when a female frame leads, it is an ugly thing. And it's very dangerous for society. So... Because because if you understand that women are um, ruled by instincts, they need to be they need to be submitted to standards, right? And only men have standards because we have what's called the burden of performance. We have to go out into the world. We have to corral our instincts. We have to um, integrate ourselves because no one would fucking do business with us. No one would want to work with us. No one wanted to do anything because men have to group hunt. We have to go build businesses. We have to hire employees. We have to make contracts. We have to negotiate deals. We have to have some degree of. That we're no longer this instinctual, selfish animal. We have to be um, much more honorable, and that's why honor is the realm of men, because we have the burden of performance. So only, only on like a long-term scale, men can be like of the moral arbitrators of society. So it's very important that women um, submit themselves to the frame, the frames of moral men. But men are often only only fully moral if they've been following some model of morality, right? And that's where, so that. The divine hierarchy comes that men are following the frame of God, let's say. And you can think of that as the, the frame of reality, the frame of like what is true, what is right. Is it right to not steal? Why is it right to not steal, right? When you think about the decrees that come from religions about what what pleases God, right? In, in uh, Christianity, that's called the dekayasune. That's like, what is pleasing? What is pleasing to God? Because that's a moral way of acting. And... So men are only really capable of figuring that out in the long term because female instincts, that's the story of Adam and Eve. You know, this is pleasing to God that you eat from this tree. She goes, well, I want to eat from this tree. Adam, you should eat from this tree, right? And she immediately, immediately overthrows the, the frame of God for her, with her instincts, right? And because uh, Adam was a pair bonder, he made the great, the great sin of abdicating his frame to her, right? It's the story of the Garden of Eden. And um, to restore that properly in the way that God wants, he wants the man to come under his authority of his frame he wants, he wants the male frame to adopt the frame of God. And then the woman comes under and supports the, the man or submits to the man and his frame. And then that creates the most stable structure by which to be fruitful and multiply.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was great. I think that's a, a great overall explanation of tournament males and uh, frame and I really like the example of bringing it into, like, current times where we do see the female frame dominating society and all the chaos that that brings with it. And so uh, we're at a stage right now where, you know, men kind of need to re- reassert themselves into this world and establish that uh, hierarchical order. Um, I think it's a good point to maybe open this up and take any comments or questions. What do you think, Trev? Yeah, just go for it. That's a lot of content, so. Does anyone, uh, anyone have any questions or want to say anything? Let me see if I could
2: Um, just a sort of comment there. Hey, Cedar. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Firstly, thank you very much. That was really informative. A lot of ideas I'd never put together before. And the frame um, model that you have there is really interesting. Um, A couple of things. One, uh, a few years back, I was in Genghis Khan's hometown in Mongolia. And um, there's a temple there that looks like a Buddhist temple. But when you go inside, it's a temple to Genghis. And he's still treated pretty much like a god in that part of the world. (laughs) um wow. and it's so interesting to hear um the framing you just gave um of the tournament male and then seeing that model of a man still being um worshipped yeah <laughs> worshipped yeah <laughs> um incredible isn't yeah, it yeah and and the whole place is covered in inscriptions of great things he said which is often around um brotherhood and um how when you have true brotherhood um you cannot be defeated by anything or anyone um wow that's incredible so i just wanted to share that experience um i'm really interested in how what you've just spoken about can be put out further into um community and society at the moment because it feels like there's a lot of men that need to hear this that would benefit from being able to um integrate specifically the integration part of the, um, the part of what you said, I thought that was really, really important because I think people are splitting um, these qualities and trying to choose one or the other. Um, so if you had any thoughts about how um, what you're speaking about can be can reach more people, I'd be really interested to hear that. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate
1: that, man. Um, this is exactly what's going on. There's this underlying current where as soon as you explain this stuff to men, men they get it right away. But then you can start seeing of, of all, it starts to unravel, like what's been going on? Why have we not been able to see this properly? And it's like what you said, they've been splitting the qualities or they've been caricaturizing male qualities. It's either like you're angry and miserable and you hurt people and it can, can't ever be used in a way that's like a positive, right? Yeah. So, right, exactly. So all the, all the male qualities have been caricaturized and all the, the female qualities have been romanticized and that's where can, we find ourselves go ahead can i can i just jump in
0: here I, this is in regards to like what we see with toxic max masculinity right the whole um uh i guess demonization of masculine qualities is that what we're referring to exactly
1: and that's what that is it's saying the whole corpus of male characteristics are harmful they're toxic and they need to be discarded or at the very least if you are such a person that that has these or indications of these you need to feel eternal shame and guilt and you certainly better not be putting your nose in anything that uh that where it doesn't belong or it shouldn't belong or you don't deserve to have a say in anything or you're they're basically saying that because of this is it's impossible for you to be moral so you shouldn't have any say which is ridiculous
2: i i i forget who said it uh, i'm thinking it's one of the classic greek philosophers um, about how when republics become democracies, they end up in tyranny. And a lot of that is to do with the feminization of society. So I know that this has been recognized for thousands of years. Um, is that, is that, that, is that Camille,
1: Camille Peglia's work?
2: I don't know. Um, you're more likely to know than I am. I know something I've heard along the way and failed to grasp properly. So Well, I can I can give a bit of insight. So when,
1: when these nations um, start to decline and... Uh, there becomes this weird phenomenon of uh, I don't know how she Camille, Camille it's, a, it's, a, it's a video she did you can find it on YouTube, she says that basically transsexualism or transvestites start to become um, promoted or heralded within the society, and you see this in the Indian culture, you see it in the native Indian camps, right? Like you see it, you saw it in Rome and it's because now understanding it fully, it's because the, the nurturing nature of the female frame has, has been allowed to run amok so much that it it's nurturing and protecting every marginalized group within society. And they're allowed to have a say, they're allowed to have input, et cetera. Right. And that's where we are now. And that's why that phenomenon happens because when it indicates that the female frame is in charge. Hey, Travis,
0: can we, uh, so how do you go about, how does a, a man then now learning this or coming, becoming familiar with this concept and this framework, um, go ahead and start integrating their tournament male qualities into their life?
1: Well, that's a good question. It kind of relates what Cedar was just talking about. Like, how do, you, how do you bring this to your community? How do you bring this? Like, what does this look like? And it, interestingly enough, it's one thing I didn't touch on is the nature of male fraternity and brotherhood as Genghis Khan is um, so much is being wrote about in that temple about. The, the, fir- the first step is to, I believe, is that you have to restore male fraternity um, you first have to, of course, start seeing it in yourself. and you got to get a bit angry. you got to get bit angry about it, the way things are going. you start going to be a, bit, a little bit judgmental about the way things are going because things are going in a very poor direction. And I'll, I'll say this one last thing before I get into it. The number one sin in the female frame world is the sin of judgment, right? Because that's a male quality, and you're not allowed to judge. You're not allowed to judge any lifestyles, any way that people are living. You're not allowed to make any moral statements. You're not allowed to impart any standards on anybody right? And we are in that environment now. So you got to get a little angry first, and you got to become a judgmental a judgmental man again. That shit isn't right, right? This way that we're being led by the female frame is not right, and it's dangerous, particularly dangerous for the next generations, right? So that's the first thing, you got to get angry, and then you got to go find people, you got you to find fraternity, because you're gonna have no power alone, you're gonna be overwhelmed alone. When men find fraternity, they strengthen their frames it's like that biblical concept of iron sharpens iron well this is frame strengthens frame so then men actually you know one of the about it so one of the questions protected here we're reality
0: trying to answer or we're trying to get at is like how does how that does protected a reality that they create who realize it's usually alongside kind of other men world. it makes their frame world. stronger so it's like and three it guys standing in a big ass frame, frame that a frame people around, are living in around that right how does he start? Yeah, it's like the idea of a, you know, one guy on a horse. More integrated not tournament conquer, uh, male frame. But you got to go guys about life, and get exactly. get what he wants yeah. and actually, you know, um, assert his, himself into this world. And uh, you mentioned fraternity. Are there other things like I think, you know, first of all, defining your standards, like de- starting to define your frame, right? Define those standards that you want. Define the habits that you need to do in order to become the man that you want, right? And start practicing asserting yourself into this world. Like tapping into each side of that frame and just going through the motions and the actions eventually will lead you to that route of integrating these tournament male qualities into your personality. Does that sound right to you, Trev?
1: That's exactly right. And that's how you do it, right? So it's, it's every day, these little micro battles. And that's the thing you got to recognize when you, when you embark on this journey, you're going to be in daily micro battles with everybody about your frame versus theirs. Right. So the first one about, about the standards, right. That it's almost always going to have to be some somewhat religiously inspired, you know, to, to go down that journey is, is the, the ancient study of religions or a particular religion. You're you're going to have to go, you know, even, even if you try to go the route of like Jordan Peterson, where he, he is now religious, I believe it will always lead back to religion. So the, the, the journey of standards is almost always the journey of religion. So, and which is, a, which is a, the history, that's like one of the biggest um, priorities of men throughout history is the focus of this, of, of on religion, right? And, and big moral questions. So starting to embark on that journey. And certainly if you're an atheist, it's time to abandon such silly ideas. Like it doesn't work, right? It's not, not a viable thing. Me, this be me saying, you know, I'm, I'm something different. I feel uh, like I, we, we can get into that. But I'm heavily in, inspired and informed by religion now. And I was formerly an atheist, um, so that, that's the first thing needs to go. That whole, the whole, that whole framework of those types of standards, they don't do a damn thing. They stand up for nothing. They're just the extension of the feminine frame. Right? So then the next is you're right. You got to work on your habits every day and people are going to be every day trying to stop you every day, preventing you. And you'll do it to yourself. Your confidence won't be high. You'll look in the mirror and be like, ah, shit, I'm not in shape. I don't feel like going to the gym today. Like if you not, and this is the thing to understand, not everyone can be a tournament male. Many men are destined to be those 16 guys who do not reproduce. Right, many men are destined to be those percentage of men who never influence or uh, have any um, impact on anyone. Right, not everyone's Genghis Khan, not not everyone's Solomon, not everyone's King David. Right, not everyone's going to be these guys—highly courageous, assertive men with like crazy moral standards and habits and interests. But if you want to embark on that journey, if you're like, you know what, life as a parabonner is not enjoyable. If you look at your life and you say it's not fucking fun, I don't like this. I'm miserable then you have no choice but to embrace the tournament male, right? As as like if you don't understand it, you're intimidated by it. You're like, well, I could never be. You have no fucking choice. There is no – men are not designed to be happy under the care of women and under the control of bosses. Like you're just never going to be fucking happy. You're going to put on a ton of weight. You're going to go home and you're going to drink IPAs and watch fucking Netflix and your life's going to suck, right? So you have no choice but to do this. If you decide, if you decide that you don't like it, it's not happy There's something that bothers you, like at the core of of core of your being, then you have to embark on this journey. It is the template. It is the ancient ancestral template and it has been integrated. But that is not even your first problem. Your first problem is, well, what, what if I'm not a moral guy? You shouldn't even be asking that question. Right. Because you are a moral guy. You're a pair bonder. You're already highly abdicated to other people. You've been prioritizing them like crazy. Just because you move the needle a little bit towards yourself now, you're not suddenly gonna become fucking Genghis Khan, right? You're gonna become, you know, just a little little bit uh, your wife's gonna be a little bit miffed that you're not around
0: twenty-four-seven doing everything she wants. Right. So but that but that but that's gonna make you happy right. and make your life more fulfilling. Is that you're finally getting to assert your, your masculine qualities and, and live a life that's more intentional and in line with who you are as a man. Exactly. And you can call that optimal genetic expression.
1: We know that when we eat well, right? When we eat properly, and we start losing weight, we start feeling way better, we start like, brain fog disappears, you know, uh, uh, being out of breath disappears, we start feeling vibrant and verve again. The exact same genetic expression that would occur for, through weight loss and being healthy occurs when you embrace your masculine nature. Your fucking serotonin levels increase. Your testosterone increases. You start feeling proud. You start feeling like excited about life. You start feeling tenacious about life. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just coming off of experience, uh, for me, this past year, I put a lot of uh, a lot of work into developing out my frame. Even though I didn't have this model to go off of, instinctually, I was like, I need to get out there, and I need to start training MMA. Right? I need to start training uh, um, my tactical training and become harder to kill and stuff like that. It was just an instinct where I committed to, to developing out my frame. Again, I didn't have that model, but it's 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 within us. And then as I'm doing it, I'm just noticing all other parts of my life start to get better. And I'm sure if I was measuring my testosterone, if I was you know um, like actually having metrics on 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 you know certain male markers. You would see all of that increase. But just from an anecdotal perspective, yeah, I mean, I'm happy. I'm more assertive. I'm getting more of what I want. Um, I feel good about myself. I'm energetic. I'm, like, developing, um, you know, I'm developing ideas and pursuing them. Like, all of that happens once you start, like, actually trying to develop your frame into these kind of tournament male characteristics.
1: And I'll add to that because – the fear is, is that you'll start embracing on this you know, self-prioritized life, and that, that's somehow going to harm people around you. But you don't understand. They've been waiting for you to do that. This is the nature of how it works. Your wife is attracted, or if you're a woman, or your partner, or your potential partner, attracted to hypergamy. When you start doing this, they're not going to be like, oh, I'm unhappy now that you're going out with the boys. They're going to be, I'm happy that you're higher status, because now I am psychologically more attracted to you as a man. They're thankful that you do this. Oh, you're fitter from going to the gym? I am more attracted to you. That is higher status, right? And there's this saying you've probably heard about, you know, if a plane's going down and there's limited oxygen, who's the first person who should get oxygen? It's the pilot, right? Well, if when you look at a family and, you know, the dad is, you know, the wife is not attracted to the dad anymore. She treats him like shit every day. He's 40 pounds, 50 pounds overweight. He's got no energy to play with the kids. The kids are miserable on their own devices all day. Who didn't get the oxygen? The dad didn't get the oxygen. He, he didn't prioritize himself. He put everyone else first and it's all fucking falling apart. He is the, he is the um, what do they call that in buildings? The keystone that holds it all up? He's the keystone that holds it all up. And if you don't have, if he doesn't prioritize himself, like being self-centered, you could be self-centered and moral, right? If, you, if he doesn't do that, then his whole fucking family falls apart because the, the female frame will rule and his kids will become fucking blue haired, whatever. You won't be able to recognize them. So it is a moral obligation that he takes that fucking oxygen. He puts it on himself first. He makes himself really fucking strong. And then everyone gets to live in his wake and his wake is his frame, his protected reality. And if a man doesn't do that, he's, he's, he's a moral
0: failure. Well, I think, uh, trap, this is a a good place to start wrapping it up. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask real quick if anyone else has anything else to say, either request to speak. And, uh, we'll get you up here. But other than that, what do you think, Travis? Is this a good spot to wrap it up? Anything else you want to say? Yeah, we covered everything, man. I'd
1: love to hear from anyone. If they have thoughts, Uh, you know, don't be shy. Again, if you are just beginning this journey, uh, step one is is assertiveness, right? You might not have any of these other qualities in place, but asserting yourself, you know, that's a courageous quality of men. If you feel like you want to ask questions, you want to put your hand up and, you know, describe your situation, please, I, I encourage you to do it. So we'll just give give that a bit of time to see if anyone wants to do that. Otherwise, that's a great pl- point to wrap up.
2: Uh, I would like to say that um, over the course of my life, I've noticed that when I was younger, most of my friends were female. And I would have put myself very much in that pair bonding state. And then over time, as I've grown, um, I've noticed the fraternity, their brotherhood growing and um my sense of self-growing and I think now in particular I'm having a very strong identity towards being I would not have used the term tournament male before but I'll use that now because obviously that's what we're talking about but there are other ways to say something very similar Um, a good strong man and someone who stands their ground and I'm infinitely happier as a result of that and my relationships with both my male friends and my partner my um and, and other women apart from my girlfriend um, I just better, I just much, much better. And so I can testify from a personal experience that, um, this definitely works and is the way we need to go forward. So, um, that's that. Uh, that's what I've got to add though. Thank you.
0: Hey, hey, Trav. So Neil, Neil's in my group, in my strongman group. And, uh, so he's been working hard on developing that habit portion of his frame. And so he's, you know, we had a conversation yesterday, but he's already seen, uh, you know, the, the impact from strengthening that part of his frame translate to different areas of his life. And so uh, just to give you perspective on where he's coming from.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated you sharing that perspective. Everyone benefits from an assertive, strong, moral man. Everybody, no one is harmed by this process ever. So, and, and, and like you said, as soon as you started to embrace that in your life, everything got better. Everyone got happier. You got happier, right?
2: It's the way to go. Yeah, um, and my anger has become strength. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, rather than being um, highly frictional, which I was when <laughs> I was younger, um, I am now assertive, um, but with authority. I believe um, there's still some. I still got a long way to grow, but that's great. Um, it can just be more so in the future. I love it. It's kind
0: of like it, what Jordan Peterson says, right, especially with that anger. It's like when you can channel that and, and and display that in a very controlled manner, it's very highly effective, and that's a very masculine quality.
1: Absolutely. A dangerous man who has it fully under control. That is your. What's much more dangerous is a man who is uh, the opposite of that, right? The, the, the male feminists, et cetera, they're the ones who do the damage.
0: Cool. Well, Trav, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I thought this was a great conversation. It solidified a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the ideas around frame and tournament mail even more so into my mind, and I appreciate you taking the time and, and coming here and uh, illuminating us. You're very welcome, my man. I appreciate the opportunity, and thanks,
1: everyone, for listening.
0: Thank I you. Thank you, guys, for, for joining, and uh, I'll see you around Twitter. Adios.
1: See you, guys.